Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. As Tracy was praying, I heard God whisper to me. He says, my people are trying to convince me to do something, and I'm trying to convince them that I've already done something. It's kind of simple, isn't it? If you believe God did something, you don't need to ask him to do it. You need to stand over there where he did it. That's like being seated in heavenly. Can I just give you some revelation? To, you know, and then I'll, I'll preach what I believe God gave me. Can I just give you a little revelation? See, many of you have, have constantly been looking through your circumstances to try and see what God is doing. But if you're actually seated in heavenly places, you look down on your circumstances to see what God has already done. You, you, if, you're, if you're soaring with weagle's wings, eagle's wings, if you're soaring above your problems, you have to look down on them through the perspective you have from heaven. That'll change how you see your problems. Amen? Amen. Father, let's teach us by your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, please, to the book of Philippians chapter 1. We're talking today about how to be developed by adversity and trust. I know a lot of times what happens is that we've been taught that adversity should be resisted at all costs, that we should never have any problems and never have any difficulty. But I got to tell you something, most of us in this room are mostly human and we go through some adversity and specifically adversity is when what we're going through isn't seen right. And so if you don't see what you're going through correctly, you'll see it as a problem rather than as an opportunity to be developed. So everything that you go through could be seen as an opportunity for you to be developed in your trust. Right? You say, well, yeah, but that's really hard. I understand, but you don't understand how difficult it is for you to water the seed of the Word of God with complaints. It's just not, it's just not uh, 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 profitable. Do you understand there's a difference between a lament... Well, that's a good word, Lord. See, lament is when we complain to God, but a complaint is when we complain about God. There's a difference. Not, why aren't you doing this, God? But rather, God in the midst of this. I lift up my voice to you in tears and whatever I need. Lord, and I'm trusting you. That's a lament. Yeah, it's painful, it's difficult. But you get over here and your lament turns into, a, into a, a, a complaint. Well, God, you're not holding up your end of the deal. I think that's wrong. I don't know, I might be wrong in that, but I think that's wrong. I, I, I think that we should figure out how to lament, how to join our emotions with what we're going through and take those to heaven with us for God. Cast your cares upon Him for He cares for you. How to take them up there without taking our complaints and our whining with us. There's a difference. So, hallelujah. So we're going to talk about developed by adversity. We've been doing this for a few weeks. There's been some great um, um, quotes that we talked about. Uh, I think that, that we have the first one from uh, the second week. It says, your conceiving heart is the womb of your future. Your heart produces. Your heart is the production room of your soul. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We begin to set those things in motion. And you say, wait a minute, what do you mean we said? You tried to teach us before that we should line up with God's motion. Yeah, so God's motion is not your motion. His ways are not your way. The Bible kind of says that. 
His ways are higher than That doesn't mean his ways are beyond finding out. It means his ways are better than yours, higher than yours. So why don't you join his ways? And you get over here and you say, you know what, God, you got a better plan for me. I learned this mostly financially. When I was early on, before, right as I was getting saved, Tracy and I got saved in the middle of the, the charismatic uh, prosperity movement. And I thought it was great that God would help me with my money. Because I wanted more of it. How many of you ever been there? Yeah, I wanted more of it. And, and what I realized was that God didn't want to help me in my ways. And in the midst of me understanding the difference between what the world was teaching me, even through the church, and what God was trying to teach me, was God took away all the greed, or a good portion of the greed, and a good portion of the pride, to leave me dependent on Him. I couldn't have imagined the end result that Tracy and I can see from where we stand. I couldn't have imagined that based on my own plans. I, I had to be taken away for, through adversity. Through adversity. My wife was telling a testimony last, last night to some people, and I may have shared this with you, but in, in July of 1981, the IRS came and, and took possession with big signs, how embarrassing was that, of a restaurant that we were managing. And they put this sign on there that says in the cash register, this belongs to the United States government by the order of the Infernal Revenue Service. Well, okay then. And it was payday. And they took my check that I'd worked for for two weeks and my bonus money that I'd worked for for a month. And they took it all. They never apologized, never said anything. And I thought, this is not the way it's supposed to work. Supposed to work differently than this. See, God took my dependence, and there's a longer story to this. I, 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 basically, it all kind of falls into worship of self. But, but you know, I, I, used to work, I used to worship a little round orange ball. A basketball. Because I could run fast and jump high, at least in my mind. And I worshiped that thing. And I was positive, I was absolutely positive that that was my ticket out. And then I started worshiping education to some degree. I was going to become a, a, a psychiatrist or a psychologist. And I learned that they thought I could help somebody from the outside in. All of these things were before I was saved. And God was moving me into his flow because he knew what he had planned for me, which was above what I had planned for me. He moved me away from basketball. I hated that. I absolutely hated that. I could not believe that my body could not do enough to get noticed so that my dream could come true. It was hard. I trusted myself. And so then I got into this, this thing of trusting intellect. Decided that if I could just understand this, I could help other people. And it really, it was surrounding at that point, the, the basic, the basic uh, counseling appointment was between $75 and $125 per half hour or two. To, for an hour. And I thought, that's, praise God, that's pretty good. You do 10 people a week, that's a thousand bucks a week. I can do the math on this. 50 grand a year. This is in the 70s. 50 grand a year in the 70s is a lot of money. Probably is still today, but nonetheless. That's how I thought. And God said, no, you're not going to do that. Now, he didn't say that because I wasn't listening to his voice. He did circumstances that took me there, kept drawing me closer and closer. This is all going to make sense when I give you the scripture in just a second. 
So I let go of basketball, I let go of education, and then I decided that I'm really good at making money. So I put my head fully in. Here's how to do this, how to win friends and influence people and have a banker in your pocket. Hallelujah. And God said, no, you're not doing it that way either. And so from 1978 or 9, 78, 77, from 1977 till 1983, God moved me inch by inch closer till I was prepared at least to hear what he said. He said, I've called you into ministry, 1983. I went, okay. And he said to me, go and teach my people foundations. And I said, great, let's do that. I didn't know what any of that meant. But he kept inching me over there. And in the middle of that, Tracy and I got saved. You know, what a crazy thing. We were unsaved as, you know, the devil himself before we got married. And God kept us together, kept building, kept moving us through circumstances. And you can say, who did that? Did you do that? Did the devil do that? Did God do that? Yes. Yes. We moved a little bit, right? When, listen, when adversity hits you, you move to get free from it. Right? You will move. When the devil comes at you, you'll try and do something like blame him. That always works. And when God does something, you think he doesn't act that way. See, there's a little bit of work that gets to get, needs to get done. And so from your heart, whether you recognize it or not, when you scream at God, God, and maybe you don't scream. When I screamed at God, what do you want from me? I was talking in the air. I didn't know God was actually listening. I learned a lot by yelling at God. Circumstantially, he took me to a place that now, over 40 years later, I stand in a place I could have never imagined back then. He's doing that in your life. He did that in Paul's life. Notice he says in the... well. And so anyway, let me give you the second quote I want you to see again. And and that's if God's blessing moves our focus away from eternity's plan. We've misused the blessing. I wanted so bad for God to bless me and mine. And God wanted me to understand that he put me on the earth to bless others. That's his plan of eternity. Take as many people from the gates of hell and introduce them to the gates of heaven. I didn't get it for a long time because I thought, you know, praise God. You know, if God will help you with your money, it's a good deal. And so I stood there until the money was gone. And I went, okay, God, you didn't hold up your end. Anybody else ever done this? Told God he didn't hold up his end of the deal? I said, you haven't held up your end of the deal. You promised, God. I had scriptures for his promise. Now, I was just a half a step off because I wanted to create the wealth myself. I wanted him to bless me in such a way that I created it. And he says, no, I don't, I don't want you to do it that way. I want you to understand that I set this in motion. It's already been created. Just get under the flow of what I want to do. It's already created. In fact, you'll triple. I've tripped over more of God's, and that's why I call it provision. Just wandering along in life, and all of a sudden, kabang, you trip over something. You know, part of, part of our blessing as a family was, was m- many times put in motion because of what God put out there for me to trip over. Just amazing. You say, well, yeah, but if you wouldn't have done it right, I cooperated with it. I didn't create its happening. I cooperated with it. Paul cooperated through adversity in Philippians chapter 1. 
Adversity is the state of being with hardship, challenge, difficulty, or misfortune in life. See, you get the opportunity to define adversity, to define the challenges. You might have challenges with your children. You might have challenges with your grandchildren. You might have challenges with your finances. You might have challenges with your health. You might have challenges with the people you live next to or the people that you're related to. You're to define those challenges. And you will declare that adversity. The issue is not the adversity, the state of being where all this stuff is difficult. The issue is how are you going to respond to adversity? See, many people want God to fix the adversity. And what he wants to do is to give them a revelation of why it's there. So God is working in your life. Watching what he does takes focus on the invisible. See, you don't know what God's doing. I didn't know back in my early life what God was doing. I thought it was cruel and unusual punishment for him. And you only can think about this after the fact. But I I didn't understand, you know, why God didn't just make my plan work. And, And I had five or six of them. I just kept adjusting as I moved closer to his plan. And when I finally abandoned all my plans, his plan, while not working out perfectly according to me, is now a perfect plan as I look back on it. Does that make sense? When I was going through it, it didn't sound perfect. When I went to my first church and people loved me enough to leave, that didn't feel right. When I came to my second church and people loved me enough to leave, that didn't feel right. Right? Well, God, what are you doing? This isn't right. And people, you know, would come and do great work and help and, and, and really serve the vision that I had. And they would hook right up and then, and then they'd move. Well, that ain't right. See, at the time, I had adversity. Where I stand now, I see all of those things as a part of the plan of God. See, sometimes you need to be able to step aside and look back, look into the invisible and say, say to yourself, wow, God did that. God did that. I'm not smart enough to do most of that stuff. I'm not even smart enough today after the experience to recreate it. I can't tell you how to do it what I mean by recreating it. Philippians chapter 1, notice what it says. Verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Now let me point out to you and just give you the context. Paul is in jail. Now I don't know if jails back then were exactly, you know, iron bars and all that kind of stuff. I always hear that they involve dungeons and cold, dark, dank, wet places like that. I don't know. I'll tell you this. For those of you who have been in jail you recognize that that's not where you want to spend most of your time. Paul was in jail. He was imprisoned potentially because of what he believed and how he spoke. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making a request for you with all joy. Can you notice that when he starts this conversation, he doesn't talk about, hey, um, I have a prayer request for you. I don't know if you're aware of this, but I've been thrown in jail. They're mistreating me. This is the worst thing I've ever had. Please, please, please pray for me. He didn't say that. He said, God slowed me down. I'm sitting in this jail cell and all he's put on my heart is to pray for you. Notice how he began to show us how to see adversity. He saw his adversity. I don't know how else to determine this because this doesn't make any sense to me. 
why you would say, I mean, even if you really had prayed for them a lot, when you get in a position of adversity, what you do is call the people who you want to pray for you. He wrote a note and said, I'm praying for you. Look what else he said. Making crest for you with all joy. What? With all joy. Right. This is an out and out lie. No one can spend time in jail and be joyful. It's a terrible place to be. This is a lie. Somehow he had to transition his understanding. You know what? He was looking down on his problems, not up through his problems. See, if you look up through your problems, you're not very happy about this. If you look down on your problems from your place in heaven, you can see them differently. Can you say amen? Amen. It's a whole different deal, isn't it? You're developed by adversity by the way you trust to see God through it. He says, with all joy, verse 5, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Notice how he assumes that the people he's writing to have been fellowshipping with him. Sharing in what he's doing and what he said and what he's gone through. and He's actually talking as if this is his family. Verse 6, being confident of this very thing. That he who begun, has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ, Jesus Christ. He still hadn't talked about himself. He's confident. What does it mean to be confident? He said, I have an assuredness attached to who gave me the assuredness. Look what he said. He said, I'm confident of this very thing that he, he God, who began a good work in you will complete it. He's saying that from a position of adversity. He has to trust the guy who said it to him, regardless of what he's going through, is going to complete the work in them the same way he's creating and completing that work in Paul. The only way you can say that is if it's happening in your life. Because if not, what you'll say is, hey, I don't mean to bother you, but man, my circumstance is so bad. No, in fact, I don't know anybody's circumstance as bad as mine. And I really, I really, I really, really, really need you to pray. He didn't make it about himself. He'd already been assured by his trust in he who promised him that this was going to turn out for his life. That's how he could say, if God's going to do that for me, he's going to do that for you. That's this verse. So again, here's your quote. You do not need to control or create what God has already done. Just surrender and cooperate. You do not need to control or create what God has already done. Listen, in your future there will be adversity. It's not a prophecy. Peter said, why are you so surprised about the fiery trials as if this was never supposed to happen to you? In your future is going to be a level of adversity. And adversity is going to be defined by you. Adversity is almost always measured by what you don't deserve. Well, I don't deserve to go through this. You know, I learned in ministry that as hard as you try to preach what people want to hear, that that really benefit, not not tickling your ears, but, but just giving you this revelation from God. I learned a long time ago that not everybody likes that. People will seek me out privately and go, okay, now let me, let me ask this question. Did you really mean to say that? Yeah, I did. And then they'll tell me their interpretation of it. And they'll tell me their interpretation based on what they're sure God has promised them they would never have to go through. 
Okay, I hope you never go through it. But history suggests to us as humans that we're going to be exposed to people who don't think like us, don't act like us, don't vote like us for heaven's sakes. And, and here's your op- opportunity. You can say, wow, it stinks to live in this country. I've been on several continents and in several places in the world. And each time when that plane landed in America, on American soil, I wish we'd have had the gangplank that walks down rather than the jetway because I'd have bent down and kissed the ground I was standing on. Man, it is, it is awesome to be an American. I gave my grandson who's going to Costa Rica on a, on a science thing, or I don't know, you know, teenagers in Costa Rica with a teacher. I don't know what they're going to learn. But anyway, he's going there. And so I took all my Costa Rican money. I had 1,935 colones. I put it in a Ziploc, gallon zip. I had a $1,000 bill, or a 1,000 colone bill. So then I put it through the translation thing. I didn't give him enough money to buy a Coke in the airport. $3.25. I happen to know I paid $8 for a Coke Zero in, in past security. Where they get you past security in a foreign country, I'm telling you what, a Coke costs a lot. I paid $8 for a Coke one time years ago. Paid $8 for a Diet Coke years ago in there. And then my credit card company had enough gall to charge me 83 cents. See, I still remember this. I'm just, just tacked off at them. I didn't, I was thirsty. I had to be there two hours early because I'm an American. But in a foreign country, all you need to do is bring your bomb and come to the airport. They'll let you right through. There's no, so I'm sitting around for two hours. And by the way, they don't have as many flights. There's no people to watch. And if you're in the wrong concourse, you can't even buy a piece of fried bread. It's terrible. So you're sitting there for 10 hours holding on to your suitcases, you know, trying to figure out how to sleep in them stupid chairs so you can get on a 10 o'clock flight. This is when we were in South Pacific. Get on a 10 o'clock flight so you can land in your, in your hometown or in your home airport before you take off in the place on the other side of the dateline. I didn't deserve that. That was adversity. I couldn't believe how tired I was. We landed at 3.30 in the afternoon on the day we left. Left at 10 o'clock on a Thursday and I arrived at 3.30 in the afternoon on a Thursday. It'll mess with you. Suffering for Jesus. Right? See, you get to define adversity. How are you going to look at it? Paul's in jail for heaven's sakes. And I don't care if it's a first class jail. Jail is not cool. Two hots and a cot won't do it for me. Amen. Look what he says here. Just as is right, verse 7. Right for me to think of this of you all because I have you in my heart. Man, I'm hoping they got me in their heart. But what did he say? He said, I have you in my heart. Meaning that what he's saying is coming out of the abundance of what's living in him. He's not allowing adversity to affect his living. Okay, get ready. He's not allowing his adversity to affect his living. It's a good place to say amen because what do we do? When adversity hits hits us, living stops and complaining begins. And we don't deserve this. And I don't like this. And I want it to change. Please agree with me that this is the devil. And sometimes it is the devil, but sometimes it's just God moving you another inch towards what he actually has for you. But you can't see it because you're too busy complaining in adversity and not trusting what God would do. 
Look at verse number 12. <laughs> let, me, let me go back to 7. Inasmuch as both in my chains and the, in the defense and confirmation, that's how we know he's in jail for what he said and what he did in the gospel. He says, listen, I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my chains. Wait, we didn't get that to start of the story. Evidently, he's chained to something. Wouldn't that be comfortable? Rusty old smelly chains. Now I'm going to tell you something about them jails. They didn't have running water almost anywhere in the first century. Well, it wasn't, you know, you didn't have a porcelain commode. Or even a stainless steel one, for those of you who understand that. If you understand that, raise your hand, stainless steel one. Okay, good. Ah, there you go. Because that's the kind of toilets they have in jail. <laughs> stainless steel ones. I know some of you raised your hand. You didn't know. I was just trying to see if you knew you were in jail. So, hallelujah. In my chains and in the defense and confirmation, he actually said, I'm chained to the wall for doing what God told me to do. Do you see it? Isn't that crazy? Um, pardon me, God. I didn't sign up for these chains. I was just doing what you told me to do. Now, I don't know how you reconcile this. I don't know how you deal with this in Paul's life. I mean, the guy wrote about 60-some percent of the New Testament. He's kind of he's submitted to the Holy Ghost. I mean, kind of. I mean, I'm, I'm going to go back and imagine that, you know, Glenn the Apostle or whatever that was living back there also wrote letters to the people he helped, but God took Paul's stuff and put it in the Bible. He got some stuff figured out. Glenn's Gospel would have looked an awful lot like Glenn needs a miracle from you. That's how we would have wrote. We'd have complained about our circumstances. Look at verse number 12. But I want you to know. Now, when you see that in the Bible, I want you to know. It actually is a broader word. He says, I want you to understand by the experience of what I've gotten from God through the circumstances I'm in. I want you to know. He says, I've figured this out with God. I want you to know. Now look what he says. That the things which happened to me have actually <laughs> turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Okay. If you're thrown in jail... And you talk about what God did for you. The first thing you would say was, I want you to understand that when you found out about my circumstances and prayed, I was released from jail. Come on. How many of you are looking for a ministry in your adversity? It doesn't make any sense, right? My pain is so great. My difficulty is so great. I need somebody to minister to me. Who's looking for the ministry inside their adversity? Most of us don't. <laughs> Paul said, I want you to understand this by my experience, brethren. That these things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Ask yourself this question. Would that be your goal of adversity? Would you find yourself in the middle of your problem going, praise God, what an opportunity this is for God's gospel to go forward? No, we wouldn't do that. Come on, teenagers. When you go to school and somebody makes fun of your haircut, are you, I mean, and, and if they're not, 
they should, but nonetheless, <laughs> I love you guys. But you understand that given the opportunity for adversity, what we say is it feels bad to be picked on or teased. I tease the foreigner every week when I see him. I actually know your name. I just love calling you a furner. I watched Beverly Hillbillies and Granny always said furner. That's what I think. I just think of Beverly Hillbillies, you know. And Ronnie, that's his name, is from Germany. And I love him. I you know, just got here. He's like one of our family already. Even though he's sprechen the Espanolis. <laughs> Actually, he, he, he probably uh, can speak German. Is that right? Okay. Because that will help him where he lives. Um, <laughs> He's not like you, right? He's not doing what you do when you're in adversity and say, talk American. Come on, you've done that in your head when you've been in a situation. It's the most awkward thing in the world to be in a foreign country and be the only one who doesn't understand what's going on. That's adversity, people of God. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, how you've been doing it may not be exactly what God has for you. Because what happens is we stiffen ourselves and we don't budge. Bless God, I'm not supposed to be going. I'm going to stand here and until I see the hand of deliverance from God. Well, why don't you ask what you're supposed to learn while you're in jail? When you're going through adversity. How can you pray for the people who are persecuting you? How can you pray for the people who don't think like you? How can you pray for, pray for the people who don't act like you? How can you pray for the people who don't vote for you? How can... Where's your ministry in your adversity? How do you trust God when you're going through things you don't think you should go through? I mean, that's hard. It's absolutely hard to process. But I'm telling you, what God is saying to me about this is that he put it in motion. We just need to get over here in the flow of the river of God. Because what he's doing is going to end up being fairly amazing. And I don't want to be watching it from a distance. I want to be in the middle of it. Not on the outside complaining. I want to be in the middle of it. You say, well, pastor, what happens if he doesn't do it? I'm going to tell you just like, I, like the, the, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. He says, we're not bound down to you, and even if we don't come out of this fire, we're going to trust God. And, of course, you know what happened. They threw three in and saw four. Yay! I'm not much of a dancer. If you catch me dancing, it'd be a big deal. But I'm telling you what, if I'm in the fire adversity and there was... Two of us, Tracy and I, thrown in, and I start looking around, and somebody's dancing with us. I'm cutting a rug with Jesus. <laughs> Do you understand? If you're in Christ, your circumstances are in Christ. He chose to join you in the fire. Yay, God! If you're sick, Jesus is your healer. He chose to be with you in your sickness. If you're poor, Jesus chose to be with you in your circumstance because you're in Him. Do you see it? I mean, oftentimes we think this can't be God. No, I'm not saying God causes everything. I'm saying He's never going to leave you or forsake you. So you just will look around for the other guy dancing in the fire. That'll help you. That'll also preach really good. Notice what it says then. It says in verse number 13, it says, so it's become evident. <laughs> it's become evident. It literally means it's shining and apparent. 
<laughs> when Paul was in jail, he recognized the furtherance of the gospel was actually shining and apparent like the glory of God. I don't know how you see in your circumstance, but I'm going to bet that not very many of you see the glory of God when you're going through something. When you get out of it, you say, oh, hallelujah, the glory of God is here. Nope, he was with you. He was right. Paul had this revelation. So you see, you can see that Paul, put up that quote, the one that says, um, um, he was not prepared for this. So you can see that Paul in the midst wasn't necessarily prepared for this. He was stating the outcome of confident trust it created. He's not yet out of jail. In fact, he writes this whole book, I think, from jail. He's not out. And yet he tells us what it's going to look like. He somehow found this position. It became evident. It shined and it, and it, and it appeared to the whole palace guard. Gives us some hint to where he's being kept. Probably dungeon-like. By really mean people that lost the favor of the king and were put down to guard the prisoners and beat up on them. He said it became evident to the whole palace guard. See, I love that, but look what else it says. And to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. His adversity he saw as being in Christ. He's not blaming Christ for it. He's seeing that in the midst of his adversity, because of what God was trying to show him, that this is the outcome that God planned for him being in jail. Man, it's a powerful thing. If we can get ourselves on the other side of our adversity and see what God's trying to show us. It'll bless you. Say, well, I can't be blessed. I'm going through such terrible times. Well, listen, blow your nose and wipe your tears and listen for a second. If you'll get on the other side of it, you'll be in the flow of what God's trying to do and it'll become evident to you what he's trying to do. It says, my chains are in Christ. And most, look at this, and verse 14, and most of the brethren in the Lord have become confident, look at the language, by my chains. They looked at it because of Paul's testimony and adversity. They looked at it and drew the same conclusion. By, they became confident by the fact he was chained to the wall. Isn't that awesome? They became confident by the fact of how people were going through their adversity because they learned how to trust. Does that make sense? See, put up the next quote, please, Jeremy. He did not discover his chains were gone. But through the chains and recognition of adversity, they became... See, he didn't say, look, my chains have fallen off. That's why I think the end result was kind of a surprise initially to him. Because he would have been just like us. I want out of here. This is not a comfortable place. Tracy and I listened to a testimony one time from a guy who, who ministered in a country in Africa. And he said the people who broke the law there were, were chained out in public view to, to the prison fences and things like that. Only, as you might imagine, the... the, the the chain things, um, having a, like a place where you put the padlock to get it on their, their wrist. He said, but these people were chained and the, the, the two arm and leg things were welded together. And when he asked, he said, how do they do that? They said, well, they weld it when they put them on it. 
And they put it on them. And, and he says, well, what happened? how did they get out? He says, they die, and then they cut their hands and feet off. You say, wow, that's a prison, right? Now, I don't know whether Paul went through that. But if, if, if this is in your future, the adversity causes you to die. A horrible, painful death. And you say, ah, that's not God. God's not called me to do that. Okay, then back up to whatever adversity level that you're willing to suffer for the cause of Christ, whatever that is. And just see if you can see your ministry in the midst of that. Because this guy who was telling the story, this black man who had, who had been um, um, chained like that, he went and ministered to him and taught him confidence and trust in the Lord. And he was freed from his chains. But it took, and I, I, I would love to be able to say, but I think he said it took eight years to get there. But he, did, he didn't die to get out of that. His stuff was cut off. And by the way, if you're going to use a grinder to cut somebody's quarter-inch steel cufflink off, um, it's going to get hot. And there's going to be a burn where you got your freedom. There's going to be a potential scar there where you got your freedom. There's going to be a potential remembrance of how you got your freedom. That's adversity. Can you trust through that? If you can't trust through that, you need to adjust your definitions. Because now it's not adversity It's purely, purely a destruction element of the enemy. Look at verse number 19. You know, when their confidence changed, I didn't read all of this. It says, are much more bold to speak the word. Look what it produced in them. It would have been so easy for me to write this and say, you know, when they saw me in my chains, they said, what use is it to believe in God? You get thrown in jail. And they began to whine and complain even louder. That's how I would have wrote it. You know, I don't like what I'm going through. Okay. But can you spiritually get on the other side of your adversity and trust God and see what he's doing through it? It'll change how you see adversity. Verse 19, I'll try and close with this. He said, Paul did, he says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. He knows his future based on trust. But he's not living it yet. He's still in change. He said, I know this. Isn't it interesting? In adversity, we're often looking for an explanation while God is looking to give us a revelation. If you get on the other side of your adversity, you'll look at it differently. And the revelation that God has for you will be there, not here. Just step over. You say, how do you do that? You do that by trusting God. God, I know this will turn out for my deliverance. Okay, you've begun the process. I know this is how this is going to work. You've begun to step over the problem, the adversity, the difficulty. You've stepped over it, and now you're looking at it from a different perspective. Because you're not trying to work hard enough to gain a victory. You're working from a victory already provided. Does that make sense? If you work from victory, you won't have to work for the victory. If you work from what God has done, you won't have to create what God should be doing. That's control. That's what I've been trying to get across to you all these weeks. And you say, well, we've got to pray just right. You're probably right. But I want to tell you something. When you pray right, it moves you from one side of your problem to the other. Because you see things differently. You don't see, how am I going to survive this difficulty? What you see 
is look what God is doing in the midst of this difficulty. You see your ministry inside the, the adversity, not your pain and suffering inside the adversity. And I'm telling you what, you can go to the hospital and be a minister of Christ when you're laying in a hospital bed. You can go to your creditors with no money in your bank and asking them to please bear with you and you'll, be, and you'll pay them every... You can do that as a ministry rather than as a victim of those things. you see it? I just want you to leave here today with the understanding. Just step over the, how you see the adversity and look at it from a different light. And all of the sudden, you will deal within your whole life differently because of what Paul went through. I know this will turn out for my deliverance. He says, through your prayer, the first time that he even assumes they're praying for them is 19 verses into this story. He says, through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation. He never told us what he expected. He never told us what he expected. Go back there and read that and say, well, here's what I expect to have happen. But what we do as people of faith is we tell God what our expectation is rather than stepping over the problem and seeing what his expectation is in that situation. God, what would you have me to do right here? When you do that, the level of trust that you have towards a loving God who carries you through just like what he carried Paul through, that carries you through anything and everything that you face, it'll change how you approach life. Amen? Look at here in verse number 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. How did he get that? Where did he come up with that? Where did that revelation come from? See, he doesn't know. If you go on and read that, he says, I don't know which one of these things. It's better for me to just check out of here saying, God, take me home. I'm on my way home. Take me home, country road, to the place I belong. Oh, okay. So do you see that? He says, it'd be just easier for me to get there. Just, just, let's just go home to be with Jesus. Or he says, I can stay here, which is better for you, but I don't know which one of those I'm going to choose. You choose the going home part when you stay on the wrong side of your adversity. When you get on the right side of your adversity, you can still go home. You can still choose the glory of God on this side. Over here, you choose the power of your circumstance. It's a difference. It's just a difference. Here's your last quote. Come on, music team. Come on up here. Our control is how we respond to and with the word, not in engineering outcomes. As much as I'd like to engineer outcomes, our control is really in how we use the Word of God to respond to our ad- adversities. There are difficulties that we're going to go through. If, you are, if your life doesn't have any adversities, then you get to preach next week. Because you need to tell us all how you've done that. But there's going to be times where you're just going to be without an answer to what you're going through. It's going to be difficult. And you're going to find yourself saying, Lord, I don't know what to do. And he's going to say, step over the problem and see it from my side. Step over the adversity and trust me and see what's on the other side. And what you'll see is what you used to worship has now been replaced. What you used to think your plan was has now been replaced. What you used to think your future was going to turn out to be has now been replaced. And you'll find yourself like I find myself over 40 years later on the other side of adversity going, I could have never planned this this way. Our God, my God, is a great God. Has it been free of problems? Absolutely not. But I see Him differently. 
I see them from the heavenly seated perspective rather than the under all the problems perspective. I'm looking down on my problems with God's sight, not up from my problems saying, when is God going to do something? Amen? Do you get it? I hope you got it today. I want you to change that adversity. Adversity will literally teach you how to trust God. You say, I don't want that, pastor. Teach me another way. Okay, then when God speaks to you, you be immediately obedient because he won't ever have to take you around the mountain again through whatever he takes you around the mountain to do. You'll just be immediately obedient and everything will go well for you. Or he will have to adjust you from what you think you believe into what he wants you to see. That's how it works. Amen? Stand with me, would you please? Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for your word today. We just bless you, Father, that you've given us an example. The example of Paul, Father. How in the world did he write a letter to people with such clarity of of thought based on what hasn't yet happened? How can he know he's going to be delivered? How can he see his ministry? Father, thank you for putting him on the other side of his adversity And leaving that for an example for us to see. We'll learn from his trust because we know that you are worthy of our trust. So we trust you, Father, in the midst of pain, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of whatever we're going through, Father. We trust you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live, and you can watch sermon slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.